Virtual Manager presents the How Did We Get Here podcast. Hello and welcome to episode three of the How Did We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager. In this edition, Chairman Anil Patel and CIO Neil Fillingham will explain how they took the company outside of Australia and made the first sale in the United States to the University of Rochester. We were from Oz with some tech and we hadn't made it big. We're not like Atlassian where we made it big in Australia and in other countries. We were small in Australia and kind of going in brand new into the US. We got a good hearing because he was interested in the concept the University of Rochester are quite pioneering in what they do in, in lots of fields, not just medically, but in a lot of the software areas and hardware. So for them, they could kind of elevate themselves in, in that arena using our product. You'll also hear in-depth from the man who took a chance on Virtual Manager, the Director of Facilities and Operations from the U of R, Mark Schwartz. The thing that I really liked about these guys is that they were willing to collaborate. They were willing to listen to what our needs were. They were willing to accommodate those needs. And quite frankly, in some ways, we felt like we were getting a customized product for the university and not just buying something out of a box. I'm Charles Dagnall, and this is Episode 3 of the How Did We Get Here podcast. So welcome along to episode three of the How Did We Get Here podcast. I'm Charles Dagnall alongside the chairman of Virtual Manager, Anil Patel, and CIO Neil Fillingham. The third episode, boys. We're going nicely after two. We've just laid the foundations. Just quickly, though, what I do need to ask is, is Tony Morocco in this episode? Not quite yet. So, no, no. Oh, God damn it. When will we ever get to see him? When will we get to see him? Promise me we'll see him in episode four. Absolutely. He'll be there. You would say the best to last. Yeah, we'll drag him out of the nightclub and see if we can uh, manage to squeeze him into episode four, something like that. Now, look, let's re-establish where we were at the end of episode two. So you had just tried to crack into America. You'd, you'd got the product sorted. You'd got the Smart Clean app nicely done and you were getting business in Australia. The golden goose really was the USA. You, you had business over there before in your previous life's work. But regarding virtual manager, how big of a nut to crack was the US and to get that first client? Overall, when we first started, the US was seen as the holy grail, particularly for any tech company uh, and being in Australia even more so. Um, you know, kind of feel if you cracked America, then that would be, you know, the ultimate for us i think we totally underestimated how difficult it would be um coming from the uk i think both of us felt culturally it was quite aligned and um that it, it wouldn't be too much of a challenge but i think the remote nature of us operating and trying to get into a market of which we knew very little about in healthcare was was very difficult for us just from a tech standpoint is there a little bit of uh, looking down the nose at at companies outside of Silicon Valley and, uh, you know, those who are trying to get into the tech markets. Is there a little bit of that over in the US at all? Well, it's interesting because Australian companies worldwide are seen as very innovative, or particularly from a tech perspective. So we were seen as quite innovative being an Australian firm, 
But that said, there are so many more competitors over there. So it, it is a bit of a challenge in that regard. I think the, the, the sort of level of developers that you get over in the US because of Silicon Valley, because of all the tech companies out there, um, you've probably got a bigger pool of developers in that. And so there's more content, more stuff that comes out. They're pushing the, 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 the kind of pushing that way forwards. In Australia, tech is probably fairly low down the scale of things in regards to industries that, that are really you know, out here sort of thing. So I think that was probably something fairly unique for us going over there on that in that we were from Oz with some tech and we hadn't made it big. We're not like Atlassian where we made it big in Australia and in other countries. We we were small in Australia sort of thing and kind of going in brand new into, into the US. So in that instance, were companies who you're trying to sell to is, does that make it just a little bit more difficult when you actually have to give yourselves some kind of credibility because you are outside of that Silicon Valley bubble? I think on our end of things, it, it, in some ways, it probably made getting some of the meetings slightly easier because we were a bit of a novelty. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is from my point of view. I wasn't doing the sales, so Neil's probably shaking his head going, no, you're completely wrong, mate. I think being like that little bit of a novelty got us in the door after that then the barriers start to come up because of distance do you have a team here do you have people there you know that sort of stuff then kind of came come into play um, and also while america and australia are very similar there's there's cultural differences and ways that people do things in the states is slightly different to the way it's done in australia so there's that kind of learning on our side a little bit of learning on the client side as well so i think there was a bit of plus and a bit of minus in that the first customer was the University of Rochester. Now, I know America pretty reasonably, and as universities go, it's no Penn State. It's no Ohio State or Texas or, you know, the University of Southern California. I had to look it up as to where Rochester was. How on earth did you get this particular client? So with our family have a strong connection to Rochester in that my father was a senior executive at Eastman Kodak. So he'd always been traveling to Rochester from the UK. We had a lot of contacts out there, uh, friends, and he put me in contact with uh, some of those individuals. And, and through them, they had contacts at the University of Rochester. Now, you say it's not a Penn State. It's a massive uh, institution where I remember driving along and we were driving for about 10 minutes and we still hadn't even gone like a quarter through the campus. <laughs> so for us, it was, it was a, it was almost like a town. Um, so it was, it was a significant opportunity, but that's kind of how the Rochester connection started. And that's actually where we opened the, the first office where we still have one now. How did you know who to go and see and who to get in touch with to, to show them your wares? Um, so a friend of mine had actually done some business with Mark Schwartz in a different life and he was the contact there. So we got in right at the top or at least Mark was willing to listen to what we had to say. And going back to Neil's point, there definitely was that novelty factor that I tried to use my best g'day mate Aussie accent in in the sales <laughs> call because it would always be, where are you from? And so that would always start the conversation and then we got into, okay, so where else have you got it? What, what, where have you got it in Australia? Uh, we haven't got it anywhere. We haven't got any sales. So then the, the conversation diminished quite quickly, but at least, <laughs> at least we got in the door. Um, but with Mark, we got, we got a good hearing because he was interested in the concept and the University of Russia are quite pioneering in what they do in, in lots of fields, not just medically, but in a lot of the software areas and hardware. So for them, it was seen as they could they could kind of elevate themselves in in that arena uh, using our product. How were the nerves? To be honest, there probably wasn't 
too many nerves at that point because there was nothing to get nervous about. We had no sales. <laughs> did you not think this was? Did, did you not think this was was a possibility of a, of a make or break situation? Though it must have felt a little bit like that. Yeah, I guess it did. I guess it did. But I, I don't. I think we were we were both very confident about the product, so we knew that the product did what we thought it was going to do um and there was enough of a reception and interest so i think it was fairly straightforward and, and americans just by nature are generally are friendly and and you know quite accommodating so it wasn't like we felt that pressure uh, i think you and i mm. certainly have felt that pressure in the past in australia where we've been in meetings where we've literally been you know almost thrown <laughs> out where i remember one particular meeting where we met with the chairman of a, of a large uh, food kind of manufacturer and he basically said, the only reason you two clowns are in this room is because of him. We were like, well, that's the opening line. Have, have, we haven't got far to <laughs> that's go That's how it started. That's yeah. how it even started. Uh, we actually did sell to him, so we couldn't have been yeah. that. <laughs> You're listening to the How Did We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager with Chairman Anil Patel, CIO Neil Fillingham and host Charles Dagnall. So let's hear from the man who took a chance on virtual manager, Mark Schwartz, the Director of Facilities and Operations at the University of Rochester. He was joined by Anil and Neil and was questioned by Sarah Stark from Stark Marketing, who asked him what piqued his interest. Like most things in the digital world, we never really knew we were missing it until we got a taste of it. And what I mean by that is up till uh, we met Anil it was primarily all uh, paper and pencil. And quite frankly, you know, it probably worked well for the last 120 years. What's wrong with another 50? But the more that we talked and the more that we had dialogue, the more we began to understand that there is a, a digital world for the environmental services workers and maintenance workers, quite frankly. When they walked into that meeting, what was your first impression? Why did you give these two blokes from down under a chance? You know, there's a couple things. First one, I, I can't, I can't lie here. It was the accent. Uh, <laughs> got, got him in the door, and and it got a smile on my face. I think the, uh, I think the second thing really was they had a strong proof of concept for other things that they were actually firmly marketing in Australia. To me, it was fairly clear that what could be applied in one industry could be applied in another. And granted, you know, when we're talking environmental services or housekeeping, it's pretty much done very similarly all the way around the world. And for us, we had specific needs. Uh, the thing that I really liked about these guys is that they were willing to collaborate. They were willing to listen to what our needs were. They were willing to accommodate those needs. And quite frankly, in some ways, we felt like we were getting a customized product for the university and not just buying something out of a box. Well, at least you knew that they were from Australia, Mark. Another one of Virtual Manager's clients have been a client for five years and only just realised that they're actually based in Australia. What happened there, Anil? Yeah, we've been working with them for some time and we had a pretty good relationship with them. We'd had calls with them at various times of the day and night and I guess in the early days and probably even till now, Neil and I just take calls. You know, it's kind of like, well, we don't want to inconvenience somebody else and even if it means midnight for us, we'll just jump on it. And it, it took, I think, about four years into the relationship when they actually asked, could we meet physically? And I said, well, we're actually, we're in Queensland. And they said, oh, we thought you were in London. They had no idea. And they just heard the accents and they thought Neil and I were, were based in London and uh, we, could, we could go and jump on the tube and go and see them. So that was quite a surprise. 
I love it. I love that story. And Neil and Neil, you'd obviously, you'd, you'd landed this, this massive meeting opportunity. You really couldn't stuff it up. How prepared were you when you walked in? What did you have on your minds? What, what was your goal at the end of that meeting? I mean, I'll let, I'll let Neil talk about the technical side of things. Uh, I think conceptually we had a, a presentation and some ideas and thoughts as to where we believe the product could go. So I think from that, that side of things, we were very well prepared. We certainly had no appreciation or understanding of the size of the market in the US or even the size of the opportunity at the University of Rochester. The scale of that campus is, and I was saying to, I think before, it's like a suburb in Australia. That It's just, it's a different level of, of size. And I think that's something that we, we I guess, didn't, didn't get our heads around. But I think being, I suppose, a little bit, bullish we thought right yeah, we could we could sign this client up no problem not really thinking about all of the complexities and difficulties and challenges with a different country different culture um, and even you know client wise it, it was so different to what we were used to so I think we thought we were prepared but then I think as soon as Mark I guess started talking about some of the challenges I think we were like oh, oh we're in trouble here yeah so on the technical side we had a we had a client in cleaning in in a council a kind of commercial cleaning which what we were basing the stuff that we were kind of presenting to mark off of and it was early code base it, it worked did a job but you know and that, and that was kind of what we pitched uh, to mark it was and it's really simple little system then we kind of got a bit of an inkling of of the scale of what goes on in cleaning in in the EVS departments in in a hospital and I think certainly on my side of things, it was a little bit wide-eyed, like one big opportunity, but also big gap between where we need to be and where we where we are. How do you then go about getting that knowledge? Because you know, with IT, the the key anybody can program, like you can almost train anybody to program. But the, the real key is is kind of understanding what the problem domain is and being able to kind of then you know move your software or move your development in that direction. And Mark's team were good enough to then feed information to us that allowed us to kind of move move in that direction over a relatively short period of time but it was still longer than what we'd anticipate in our heads it was always go out there do the demo make the sale become millionaires and kick back and smoke cigars so you had that meeting um, with mark and from my understanding mark told you what he wanted rather than so you went in with a generic presentation thinking, okay, we're just going to sign this client and be millionaires. And Mark went, no, 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 I need this, I need this product, go away and develop it. And then you went back for your, your final presentation a few weeks or months later? From memory, it was probably about six to nine months after that, where I, I remember the process of getting to the meeting because we really didn't have a lot of money at that time and we were struggling to even, you know, we were just getting on any flight. And I think we ended up flying almost... 20 hours in a row, had very little sleep at LA, got a flight at 5 a.m. from JFK straight to Rochester. I remember we went into a, it was like a university kind of lecture room meeting with Mark. I just remember feeling so tired. And then Mark asked us for a coffee and I think I had the biggest black coffee in my life. And then we had much more of a rounded out product at that point. The presentation went pretty well. I think we hit a number of those buttons and Mark was very engaging in that meeting. And that that's really as much as I actually can remember. I think I was probably so jet lagged, I can't remember much of it. But. I was going to say, I, I don't remember a great deal. I do remember getting on the plane, going from New York to Rochester, closing my eyes. And then when I opened them, it was a bump as we were landing because I'd just fallen asleep. It was crazy. 
So, Mark, do you remember that meeting when they came in with snow all over themselves, eyes half shut, jet lagged? Well, um, I knew at that time that that there was a long ways to go. I kind of viewed it a little bit differently as, although being the customer, per se, I was wondering if they were going to stay with us long enough to actually get a, a product that, uh, you know, we could purchase because... Uh, you got to understand that we're pretty demanding. We've got a lot of balls in play here uh, in managing our facilities. And what I saw in the software program was something really quite unique uh, that I've not seen before or seen anybody else do. But to get there, you got to go through a lot of hoops. And I think these guys will tell you that it took it took quite a bit of time, uh, but it was a good dialogue. It was a dialogue back and forth, sometimes every day, every other day, just to try to keep things moving to make sure that all our needs could be met. All right, so tell me about the moment, Mark, that you said, okay, we've got it, we've got the product, let's do it, let's sign the contract with these guys. I'd like to hear about that moment from both perspectives. Sarah, I don't know if I would call it a moment because uh, it's not <laughs> like opening a Christmas gift and there it is. Uh, this was something that transpired over months that felt like years that finally culminated to a plateau where it seems like everything is in there. And then for us, the question became, did it really work? Okay, can, can you really show us that it works? And then can we do some very straightforward math on what it looks like we can provide for savings back to the university? Um, so so it, still took, it still took some time to work through that piece. We all know the story about, oh, I've got the software. It's right here. It works great. Uh, j- just come plunk your money down and come buy it. Well, we needed to make sure that what we had talked about what was being integrated, um, was actually going to function function for us. And that was really key. And, and that that's a hurdle because, you know, obviously in every organization, there's naysayers saying, oh, we don't need to do this. Paper and pencil's cheaper. We had now the obstacle of having this product that was built to prove to others that it was actually going to fly. It's kind of like that plane sitting in the hangar that's never taken off. Do you remember the moment that you finally, that you, you know, the email you got, the phone call you got where you'd secured the client? I don't remember that exact moment. I certainly remember when the purchase order came through. That was a pretty exciting time. But I think Mark was particularly gracious in that from our side, an ordeal, and I'm sure from Mark's side, in that we weren't just a vendor selling software to an organisation. We were some two-bit company in Australia selling to an American entity that had never heard of us. So there were still hurdles to get through to get people's confidence that, you know, we actually were going to be around for the long term. We had no physical presence in the U.S. at that point in time. We had an entity. Actually, no, we didn't even have an entity at that point. That came shortly after. Um, So there were still things that we had to work through, but it felt like, you know, there was certainly validation, but it felt like this was this was our break in the US where somebody had really taken taken a chance on us. So just back to that other the other point around you know dealing with the different cultures. What would you say, Anil and Neil, from Australia to America, were the biggest hurdles in that? One of the things, look, the people on the ground was is obviously a key thing, and we were we were in the lucky position where we had a young guy, Tom, who was willing to go over to the US um, and kind of embed himself in there, which really helped because he had a kind of technical mind who's got a technical mind, but also has got on well with the guys over there. So he kind of would bring information together, shoot it across to us 
we'd then use the time zone difference to our benefit because we'd be working in the day here, but their night sort of thing. So we'd be able to turn the implementation things around right, you know, rather quickly. So I think once we kind of got that boot on the ground, we were then kind of able to tailor and push ourselves in a direction, you know, that, that brought value quite quickly to the, to, to the guys. So where, wherever our weaknesses were, they were seeing progress. So the weaknesses didn't count, count as much. I think if we hadn't had that, then the, the remoteness would have been a real issue for us. I think if we'd have been in this era where there was no ability to build personal relationships, I think we would have struggled. You know, Zoom's fantastic for for meeting and, and getting things across. But, you know, in the old days when, you know, you just wanted ideas and can we go for a beer or can we have lunch and talk about this and that, that was invaluable that I think, you know, it's just stuff that could never happen through Zoom and even some of that relationship um, side of things where you know those guys on the other side mark and his team understood where we were coming from that we were running as hard as we could to get things done but them seeing us knowing that we were actually giving it our all as opposed to the tyranny of distance through zoom and are they really doing what they say they're going to do whereas i think that helped having that ability to to travel over there even though it was you know obviously quite challenging logistically and time wise and money wise but it was definitely the right thing to do and mark what about your perspective was there any like things that stood out for you in dealing with, you know, a, a very a small startup Australian business compared to, say, a small startup in the US. The only the only challenge I think we ever really had, and the only complaint I ever really heard, was about the time difference. So you know, my folks are coming in, they're having breakfast, they want to go to work, there may be something that they want to see changed or whatnot, and the folks in Australia are getting ready to go to bed. So we were always on, on, on opposite sides of the world here uh, trying to get work done. So, so that got to be, uh, at first, it, it appeared to be a little bit frustrating. Uh, but in dialogue, we began to figure out what are the sweet spots to call. We got a chance to work with Tom when he, when he was uh, you know, sent over to the U.S., uh, and that really made things move along much more quickly, much more efficiently. So, guys, how often in the beginning, you know, pre-COVID, did you find yourself in the US actually sitting down face-to-face with Mark? In the early days, I was in the US every two months, maximum three months, and probably catching up with Mark almost every time I was there, even if I was there to see other clients. Neil wouldn't have been too dissimilar. I think, you know, the early parts, not as much, but certainly a couple of years in, we were, we were generally travelling together. Obviously, Tom was the first guy on the ground. Was he acting as a relationship manager for, for your clients over there? Pretty much. I mean, he, he was kind of our everything over there at that time. It took at least, you know, a good probably three, four years from then to, to establish a team in that we tried some individuals, they didn't work out, probably weren't aligned so much with the values and culture that we tried in, in Australia. And these things take time. And, you know, now we're very fortunate in that we scaled the team, I guess, some of it by chance, just pre-COVID, where we had, you know, key execs in place. And, a lot of people on the ground that could really take up the slack. So since COVID, the business over there, as you know, has really, I guess, essentially doubled, uh, which nobody could have foreseen at, uh, at that time. And so looking back on your whole relationship with development with, with specifically with Mark, is there anything you would have done differently in those early stages? Certainly would have had a bit more of a product at that point, you know, in terms of, you know, having it a bit more rounded out so that we could show a lot more. I don't think our approach would have been too too dissimilar in that I think it goes in line with, 
your comment around the lack of marketing and that everything that we've pretty much done even to this day has been relationship-based. So I guess if there's mutual trust and respect on both sides, then I think, you know, we could do anything and, and same on the other, you know, we're, we're pretty honest. If we can't do something, we'll tell people. So I think that part we were pretty upfront where, you know, if we couldn't do things, we, we, we kind of let them know, but also provided a timeline on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, there's too much we'd do differently. I don't think we'd be flying at 5am for a meeting that morning again, but I, I don't think there'd be too, too much on my side. What about yourself, Neil? No, it's somewhat similar. I mean, I think getting Tom embedded in over there working with the team was was like a, you know, a brilliant move. It took some load off of you know the, the distance that that, that we had, um, and Tom worked hard over there, so he was working long hours. That was a it was a really good move for us. I think without that, it would have been much harder. And that I think we managed priorities well, so we. We worked out what was important to, uh, to the guys on the ground. So, you know, this is going out into cleaners' hands who typically aren't familiar with technology. So we early on identified that meeting their needs meant that they were going to use a system which meant that management and everybody else was going to get the data back that they needed. So I think, so I think we did that well. I think, the, the, I think we were exceedingly lucky um, on that first demo because Mark has got an entrepreneurial spirit and he kind of saw potential. He didn't look at what was there. And I think other people that we've met with since and don't share that same mentality and approach to things. So I think meeting Mark when we did and having that meeting, we were we were that was lucky uh, rather than us being good. My perspective from that is it's a little bit different. I think the timing was probably absolutely perfect. Neil talks about okay, maybe it was a little premature. I'm thinking not because it's kind of like remodeling your kitchen, and I kind of looked at it as you know, the kitchen stripped down to to the bare walls where had they come in and said, well, we're already picked out the uh, countertop and the cabinets, but you can pick out the flooring and the wall colors. It might not have been as appealing to me. Make any sense? Yeah. Um, Mark, I just wanted to talk to you specifically now. Um, Neil mentioned your entrepreneurial spirit. What stands out to you as, as the guys that make it versus the guys that don't? Well, Sarah, I would say there's some fairly common elements there. Uh, let's talk about virtual manager first. Uh, one, one of the things that I really liked about what I heard, even though development may not have been fully complete, was I could see and feel the passion with these guys. These guys really lived and breathed what they were trying to build. And I think that's ultimately key for any person that wants to go out, start a business, they, they, they got to know what they're talking about. They got to know where they want to drive it. They got to know that that passion exists inside of them. Then they've got to surround themselves with good people. Okay. Because I've seen a lot of good people burn out because they tried to do it all themselves and you got to work hard, but you got to have a good support network around you to be, make that successful. And I saw the same thing with virtual manager. They had the right people around them and they had the right roles and responsibilities to drive that forward. To me, it was a matter of time because they had the passion, they knew where they wanted to go. I had I had vision on what, what I wanted to see. They were willing to help build it. Um, it was really a good a match made in heaven, so to speak. What kind of things have you seen that you'd you'd urge people to avoid, Mark? <clears throat> there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there that want to take shortcuts. Uh, they they want to get to be that uh, millionaire 
uh, by taking way too many shortcuts. And ultimately, it's a huge compromise, and it gets them in the end. Um, if, you, if you build yourself on, on, on a strong reputation with a strong team, people are going to come back to you again and again. And, and that, that's what the real success is about. Even if you don't make a ton of money, if it's a people want and come back to you because they like you, they like your products, they like the services you're providing, that's worth its weight in gold right there. Anil and Neil being joined there by the Director of Facilities and Operations from the University of Rochester, Mark Schwartz, in conversation with Sarah Stark. So, boys, just to conclude then, I'm sure that champagne corks were flying when the deal was sealed. Was it that the reaction? I think it was, how are we going to leverage this name and how are we going to get to the next hospital or group of hospitals? So I think for us, it was, you didn't really celebrate the wins. It was always about what's next and how do we pedal hard to get to the next point? Um, You know, I think even till this day, there's very little kind of, you know, you celebrate little the little wins but it's never like okay we've reached the champions league final here let's going to have a break for a couple of months it's it, it was okay great name obviously you need to make sure we do a great job and install it properly but then what's next for here you know who are their sister hospitals or what are the hospitals in the area that we could get referred to and how do we leverage pr and marketing in a market which we don't know anything about we don't know the us we don't even know half the tv channels and there are hundreds so how do we even start to <laughs> get our heads around how this country works. And we didn't know about, you know, some of the medical networks or medical expos and things like that. So it it was a very kind of green strategy that we had. I think we were also slightly uh, impressed that uh, whenever we turned up to the U of R and uh, when we were coming out, that the guys on the front door always thought that Neil was a do- and Neil was a doctor, sort of thing, because Indian dude in a suit, he'd walk up, they'd go Dr. Patel. <laughs> so we were kind of reveling in that a little bit as well. It was like, it's two wins. <laughs> Never paid for parking. That was probably the best win. Massive bonus. He should have just gone up and read someone's notes and gone, that's another five milligrams. Just off the back of that, and and just to finish off with, you talk about the the nature of the product within the USA and how you were going to market it and what was next. What was next? Did you expect a run of sales or... How did it all? How did it all work out? After the install, that was pretty successful. We had some very good feedback, um, so we were actually referred onto a couple of other institutions. They were much smaller, and we we did sell the product, but it was at a very small scale. So we're talking twenty, thirty, mm. forty licenses at a time. But one of the big wins we did have was with a, a very large GPO, and based on Mark's recommendation. Uh, companies like ours don't get into those sorts of uh, entities. Um, we pitched or we were at one of their showcase events. We actually won uh, innovation of the year in ambulatory services. So that gave us what we thought was a huge platform to upmarket to 800 hospitals. And it, it was a really good kind of springboard for us. The issue was that that organisation had just been taken over by an even bigger one. So the transition took a year <laughs> and we kind of got forgotten about. So we, even though everyone said, yeah, great product, you're going to get into these hospitals, it didn't really work that way. So um, we, we found ourselves kind of scrambling for about a year 18 months where we didn't make too many sales. We, like I said, we make some small ones, but didn't make too much headway. Uh, but that said, we did expand the product in the U of R, so that, that helped us. 
Well, we shall learn much more about the expansion in the United States in the next episode of the How Do We Get Here podcast, the story of Virtual Manager. The How Did We Get Here podcast with Anil Patel and Neil Fillingham was hosted by Charles Dagnall. This podcast is property of Virtual Manager, produced and edited by Daggers Media Limited.